Good morning. My name is Dave George. Good morning to the Saints at Brantford Bible Chapel. Welcome to my mother-in-law's sunroom. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me come into your home as well. I just want to make this one clarification before we start. This is the first time I will ever be preaching without wearing shoes. I just have my socks on. But thank you for tuning in. Uh, what we'd like to do this morning is take a look at uh, the life of one of the kings of Judah. His name is Amariah, and you will find the text concerning his life in Second uh, Kings chapter 14 and in Second Chronicles chapter 25. So if you do have your Bible with you, please um, open up to those two chapters. If you want to place a bookmark in there, we'll be referring to both of those chapters back and forth as we go. Um, but let's begin this morning by having a word of prayer together. Father, we thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for the rest that you blessed us with last night. We ask now your Spirit's help as we open up your word and look into it. We pray, Lord, that your Spirit would have liberty in our hearts and our minds to accomplish what your word uh, was designed for. Uh, Father, again, we pray believing that you can bring this to pass. For we pray in the name of your precious Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, quick question before we begin. Uh, do any of you remember what newspapers are? Vague memories? I, I remember when I was a boy, um, my dad would come home from work and he would sit in the big green easy chair in our living room and he would read the newspaper and he would seem to read that thing from cover to cover. And I never had any interest in the newspaper past the comics. Um, so I didn't know what was so fascinating to him that he found in the newspaper particularly when he would come to uh, one section of the newspaper that he not only would he read it, but sometimes he would read portions of it out loud to my mother. And that was the obituary page. I never understood it as a kid. Now that I'm a little bit older, have a little bit more perspective, I understand why he was doing that. As we look in, in 2 Kings and in 2 Chronicles, and we look at the lives of the, the kings that are recorded there, in essence, what we're seeing is God's obituaries on these men. Summaries of their life, uh, at least to the extent of the things that God wanted us to know about them. Two weeks ago, you studied together uh, one of the kings, uh, Josiah, uh, not Josiah, Joash, pardon me, Joash. Joash reigned for 40 years. 40 years is a long time. Imagine all of the uh, laws that were passed, all the edicts that were issued. Imagine all the festivals that he presided over. Imagine all the official business and news of the kingdom that took place during those 40 years. And yet what we have in scripture is a few paragraphs about those 40 years. His whole reign summed up in a, about a page or a page and a half. And just the things that God wanted us to know about him. Today we're going to look at the life of uh, his son, Amariza, and, uh, as he became king and the things that God would have us to remember about him. Let's take a look, if we would, into uh, 2 Kings. We'll start in chapter 14, and we'll begin right in verse 1. Now, we're not going to read all of both chapters. Uh, it would be a little bit too long, but uh, we will touch on a few verses and, and, and glean from these things what I believe the Holy Spirit would have us know. 
So in the second year of Joash, son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel, reigned Amariah, the son of Joash, king of Judah. Uh, some of the names repeat, and I know it gets confusing. There was a Joash, king of Israel, and there was a Joash, king of Judah as well. Amariah, I'm sorry, Amiza was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 20 and 9 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Jehoadan of Jerusalem. Amaziah's name um, means Jehovah is mighty, or strength of Jehovah. Um, his mother's name, Jehoadan, means Jehovah's delight, or Jehovah is pleased. So we find out right, right from the get-go that he was 25 years old when he began to reign, a little bit different from his father, who was seven when he began to reign. So Amiza is a young man. Uh, he ruled for 29 years, verse 3. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Now, what a wonderful thing for the Lord to say about you, right, that he did what was right. If only uh, the obituary ended there. Sadly, it does not. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, yet not like David, his father. He did according to all the things as Joash, his father, did. If you turn over to 2 Chronicles chapter 25, the same information basically is in verse 1 of chapter 25, but the writer of Chronicles writes in verse 2, he did that, well, this is uh, Amaziah, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. The King James translates it perfect. Uh, another way of understanding that word perfect would be wholeheartedly or loyally. Amaziah did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but he didn't do it with his whole heart. He didn't do it faithfully. Now, this doesn't mean that he was uh, accusing him of, of imperfection or raising David up, King David, his, uh, his great-great-great-grandfather, um, as, as a perfect man. We know David uh, was a man who, who sinned. Those sins are recorded in Scripture. And yet what characterized David's life was um, when he was confronted with his own sin, he repented and, and sought to be restored to the Lord. And, and that's the idea about wholeheartedly, is that above all, David valued his relationship with his father, with God. And that, and that played out over and over again in his life. It doesn't mean he was perfect. It means that uh, the Lord had a place of, of absolute priority in his life. Despite his failures, he came back to the Lord. Uh, we're back in 2 Kings. He, uh, he did according, in verse 3, to all things as Joash his father did. Uh, he was like his dad. In some ways, that's, that could be a good thing, right? But we know that there's other kings that it wasn't a good thing. But, but Joash his father was also a good king. And Amaziah picked up where his father left off. Verse 4, Howbeit the high places were not taken away, as yet the people did sacrifice and burnt incense on the high places. And if, and if we went back in the scripture, uh, we would see that, that Rehoboam, um, the son of Solomon, had instituted uh, pagan worship 
on the high places of Israel. Up in the hills, they would establish uh, places where they would worship and burn incense in, in what are called groves or, or little areas where they had planted special trees. And uh, they would follow the pagan uh, practices of some of the, the tribes that the Israel had, had cast out of the land of Canaan, the very people that God had passed judgment on through bringing Israel into the land. And, and Rehoboam established or brought back and instituted some of these pagan practices. They were, they were offensive, offensive to God. His father Joash had not removed these high places, and neither did Amaziah. Verse 5 of 2 Kings chapter 14, And it came to pass, as soon as the kingdom was confirmed to his hand, that he slew his servants, which had slain the king his father. If you remember back two weeks ago, as John brought us through uh, the, the, the king uh, Joash in his history, uh, we find that at, at the end of his reign, he was actually murdered by two of his own servants. Um, it's, it's interesting to note that uh, scripture names those servants. One was an Ammonite and one was a Moabite. And uh, these are uh, two tribes of people. They were the descendants of the illegitimate uh, children of Lot that are always trouble for Israel. And it's interesting that scripture uh, brings them up and, and calls them out by tribe. Uh, here again, they, they murdered the king. And his son, Amaziah, uh, puts these men to death. Verse 6. But the children of the murderers he slew not, according unto that which is written in the book of the law of Moses, wherein the Lord commanded, saying, The fathers shall not be put to death for the children, nor the children be put to death for the fathers, but every man shall be put to death for his own sin. So the idea behind this is that it was, it was the righteous thing to do, uh, to punish these murderers. Uh, under the law, uh, they were uh, guilty of a sin that was worthy of death. And so uh, Amaziah has them, has them put to death. In accordance with Moses' law, he doesn't exact revenge upon their families. He doesn't kill their children or, or anyone else in their family. But different from what many monarchs of the time would do. They would, uh, they would wipe out entire families so that there wouldn't be any question of someone in the future taking revenge. We've seen an example of that already as we, in, in the studies that you've done uh, here in the Kings of Judah, some of the wicked people uh, who have acted that way. What we get from this, uh, not just the history, is that Amaziah knew scripture and he knew how to apply it. Now, isn't that interesting? Uh, he was not ignorant of the commandments of the Lord. And, and he, he knew to stay within the lines of the commandment. He didn't go beyond them. Uh, he didn't ignore them. He, he, he knew scripture, and he obeyed it. Turn uh, over with you, if you would, please, over to Second Chronicles. We're going to get a little bit more detail um, of his early reign. Uh, verse 5 of Second Chronicles 25. Moreover, Amaziah gathered Judah together and made them captains over thousands and captains over hundreds, according to the houses of their fathers, throughout all Judah and Benjamin, and he numbered them from 20 years old and above, and found them 300,000 choice men, able to go forth to war, that could handle spear and shield. And so as a, one of his first things as king, uh, is he or, reorganizes the army, and he takes account of how many soldiers he has. 
He has 300,000 troops, which is a, a decent-sized army. Now, verse 6 brings us to an interesting thing, uh, uh, 2 Chronicles 25. He hired also 100,000 mighty men of valor out of Israel for 100 talents of silver. And I'll skip ahead a little bit. The, the reason he's mustering the army is he has a plan uh, to go attack uh, the children of Seir, or the Edomites. They are down in the south. They are descendants of Esau, um, the brother, of course, of Jacob. Uh, so they are relatives uh, to the Jews. Um, but the Edomites live in a section of the country. It's uh, uh, sort of desert-like. Uh, it's filled with high cliff, rocky places to dwell in. If we've ever seen any movie that had uh, images of a place called Petra, that, uh, that temple that's carved right into a cliff face, that is in the territory of Edom. And, and because the Edomites lived in this area, it was very difficult to attack. It was very easy to defend. And so the Edomites would raid southern Judah. They would attack towns uh, in the south, and they would uh, carry off goods and, and take prisoners. And they would retreat back up into their hills, and it was very difficult to get them out. Now, we don't see anywhere in the text that uh, Amaziah has been given specific instruction by the Lord uh, to go deal with the Edomites. Uh, we know that um, under uh, a previous king, uh, I think it was Rehoboam, the, the Edomites who had been uh, subdued under King David and brought into the kingdom of Israel, uh, they had rebelled against the kingdom. They had set up their own king. Um, they've been a splinter group now for, for over 100 years. Uh, as far as Judah's concerned, um, but Amaziah decides he is going to go after uh, the Edomites. And so not only does he reorganize the army and, and number the number of soldiers that he has, but he also hires 100,000 mercenaries out of Israel. Now, uh, now we haven't been studying uh, the kings of Israel, but all of them are wicked, and there's all types of uh, horrible, idolatrous practices that have been going on in Israel. There's been some friction between Judah and Israel. There's sometimes they, they, uh, they, they form sort of uneasy alliances against common enemies. Uh, but there has been a history of bickering and, and uh, what I guess you could call a minor warfare between the two neighboring countries. Um, but for whatever reason, Amaziah decides to hire 100,000 mercenaries for 100 talents of silver uh, out of really... Um, pagan, idolatrous Israel. Verse 7 of Second Chronicles 25, But there came a man of God to him, saying, this, this prophet is not named, O king, let not the army of Israel go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel, to wit, with all the children of Ephraim. The idea is this, the message is simple. Uh, these people of the north have rejected Jehovah. Uh, they are idolatrous uh, Folks, what are you doing forming an alliance with them? Verse 8, but if you will go, do it, and be strong for the battle. But know this, God shall make thee fall before the enemy, for God hath power to help and to cast down. So the, the, the message is very simple. If you, if you align yourself uh, with these mercenaries out of pagan Israel, uh, God says, not only will I not be with you, but, but I will be against you. Very simple message. Now, look at uh, Amaziah's response. 
Verse 9, Amaziah said to the man of God, But what shall we do for the hundred talents which I have given to the army of Israel? Well, he's, he's already paid the commanders uh, of this army to, to raise their troops. And he's already brought them down into Judah in preparation for the attack on the Edomites. So his concern is, I, I've already paid for them. What do you mean, don't use them? He is not concerned that he has formed an alliance with a group of people that God is really displeased with. He, he's just concerned about the money. The other part of this is that 100 talents of silver, and each, and each talent would be about 80 pounds. So it's, it's a big pile of silver. But it's not enough to cover the expenses for an army of 100,000. What that 100 talents of silver did was probably payment to the commanders of this army, and the rest of the troops, the rank and file, would essentially be paid with whatever plunder they could get um, as the result of a successful conquest. And so these, these men, these mercenaries, have moved all the way from Israel down into the south into Judah in preparation for this attack on the Edomites, and their expected payment is going to be as a result of them fighting. And the man of God answered Amaziah, The Lord is able to give thee much more than this. And again, the Lord owns the cattle on a, on a thousand hills. A hundred talents of silver is a, is a drop in the bucket. Verse 10, Then Amaziah separated them, to wit, the army that was come to him out of Ephraim, to go home again. And wonderful thing, Amaziah listens to this unnamed prophet and dismisses this mercenary army. Again, this army is down in the south of Judah, getting ready to attack uh, the Edomites along with Judah, the king Amaziah says, never mind guys, go home. Therefore their anger was greatly kindled against Judah, and they returned home in great anger. You can understand that. Now at verse 11, Amaziah strengthened himself, and he led forth his people, and they went to the Valley of Salt. This is the area that is uh, to the south of the Dead Sea. And they smote the children of Seir 10,000. So apparently they killed 10,000 Edomite uh, warriors uh, down there in the Valley of Salt. Verse 12, And another 10,000 left alive did the children of Judah carry away captive, and brought them unto the top of the rock, and cast them down from the top of the rock, that they were all broken in pieces. Now there's a, a disturbing thing that Amaziah had the army do, is they captured another 10,000 of these Edomites, and they murdered them. This is a very different response um, than what had happened, say, uh, when uh, the Assyrian army or, or the, 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 the brigade that came from the Assyrian army to capture Elijah. Remember, they had been struck with blindness, and the king asked, you know, should I kill them all? And Elijah says, no, show them kindness and send them home. Uh, what's going to happen if you, if you send them kindness is they're going to think twice about doing things harmful to you in the future. Opposed to that, the king has his troops murder another 10,000 of the Edomites. Now, we don't know how many of the army of Judah went. We know that they numbered 300,000. Um, I don't know if the entire army went, but it seems like the Edomites were tremendously outnumbered, so the victory for Judah doesn't seem terribly surprising. 
verse 13, here's the other footnote, but the soldiers, the mercenaries of the army, which Amaziah had sent back, that they should not go with them to battle, they fell upon the cities of Judah, from Samaria even until Beth Horon, and they smote 3,000 of them, and took much spoil. And so, these mercenaries, knowing that Amaziah was going to lead the rest of the army south against the Edomites, and they've been sent home north, they just pillage all the way home. Since they hadn't been uh, paid, or, or they hadn't gotten what they were hoping to get uh, through conquest, uh, they decided to take out their anger and frustration on the cities and towns of Judah as they head home. And they, they, they kill apparently 3,000 people, and they, they take anything of value that they can grab. They know, of course, that the, the king and the army are preoccupied uh, farther to the south, and they can do uh, as they will with, without being hindered. This is not really a tremendously um, This probably all occurs within the first uh, probably five years of his reign. Couple of things that we noticed that that Amaziah hadn't done, right? He, he, at no point do we read that he inquired of the Lord uh, the right course of action. We know the Lord sent him uh, a man uh, to reveal His will to him, but we don't see Amaziah actually seeking the Lord's will in, in what he has done. But he uh, he goes down and he has this victory over the Edomites and verse 14 of Second Chronicles 25. Now it came to pass, after that Amaziah was come from the slaughter of the Edomites, that he sought the gods of the children of Seir, and he set them up to be his gods, and bowed down himself before them, and burned incense to them. So Amaziah takes the captured idols of the defeated Edomites, and he worships and he prays to them. Verse 15 of 2 Chronicles 25. Wherefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against Amaziah, and he sent unto him a prophet, which said unto him, Why hast thou sought after the gods of the people, which could not deliver their own people out of their hand? God asked this very obvious question. Why would you do this? What are you thinking? Why would you embrace the gods from the people you had just defeated? Listen, I've worked with young people for a long time. This is a question that has passed my lips more times than I care to remember. What were you thinking? What were you thinking when you made this choice? It makes you wonder, what exactly did those gods look like? What was so enticing about them to Amaziah? Or maybe it was just the fact that these things could be seen, these things could be held. These things were tangible. And the God that had spoken to Amaziah through the prophets was a God you had to approach by faith. And so in this, in this conflict between walking by faith and walking by sight, in this strange moment in Amaziah's life, he chooses sight. And he, and he chooses to align himself with these Edomite gods. And, and, and God makes this very obvious point about them. 
They could not deliver their own people. They couldn't deliver. Why would you align yourself with that which could not deliver you? These gods had demonstrated they couldn't save. They were unable to save. However, Amaziah is filled with confidence and pride because he's had this one, this one victory. Apparently not in his eyes. It, it was a big thing, but, but it, it really, it was, he beat a tremendously outnumbered foe who uh, relied on one type of defense. They lived up on cliffs. And, and, and once that one type of defense was uh, breached, they were fairly easily defeated. It came to pass, verse 16, 2 Chronicles 25. He's talking with this... Uh, prophet that has come. It came to pass as he talked with him that the king said unto him, Art thou made of the king's counsel? Forbear. Why should you be smitten? And so King Amaziah tells this prophet that has come to him from God, Stop talking. Stop talking. You are not one of my counselors. And if you keep talking, you will be injured, meaning you'll be put to death. Then the prophet forbear and said, I know that God hath determined to destroy thee because thou hast done this and has not hearkened unto my counsel. So Amaziah, it's not that he couldn't listen, it's that he wouldn't listen, right? There's the old saying, there is no one who is so deaf as one who will not listen. And so Amaziah's next course of action here is described. He sent uh, a message to the king of, Ju the king of Israel, uh, Joash. You see, he's apparently upset with what had happened with this mercenary army. And so he sends a message to the king of Israel and challenges him to battle. Verse 17, he sent to Joash, son of Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, Come, let us see one another in the face. And that's a euphemism for let's, let's throw down and have a battle. Uh, but Joash, verse 19, the king of Israel sent to Amaziah, king of Judah, saying, The thistle that was in Lebanon sent to the cedar that was in Lebanon, saying, Give thy daughter to my son to wife. And there passed by a wild beast that was in Lebanon and trode down the thistle. And so uh, Joash uh, puts together this little story uh, comparing himself to a cedar in Lebanon and, and uh, Amaziah, the king of Judah, as a thistle or as a weed in comparison to him, and making this, this grand demand that uh, the king, uh, the cedar, surrender his, his daughter as a bride for his son, this grand demand. And yet then a wild beast comes by and steps on the thistle, the weed, and smushes it. And, of course, a cedar can't be smushed by a, bee, a wild beast walking by. And so Joash uses this cute little analogy um, to, to, to put off Amaziah, like you're making a, a ridiculous request. It says in verse 19, Thou hast smitten the Edomites, and thine heart is lifted up to boast. Abide at home, stay at home, he says. Why should thou meddle to thy hurt 
that thou shouldest fall, even thou and Judah with you. Look at verse 20 again here. But Amaziah would not hear. Again, he won't hear. He won't listen. For it came of God that he might deliver them into the hand of their enemies, because they sought after the gods of Edom. So it was in uh, uh, essentially uh, God's judgment on Amaziah that, that he would continue down this course that he had set himself on. Again, we need to remember to interpret Scripture using Scripture. Uh, God does not tempt anyone to sin. Right? That's what uh, the book of James clearly, uh, clearly states. But Romans chapter 1 says God will give people over who have a bent towards sinning. He will he'll give them over to their sin. He'll let them have what they want. Once you've rejected God and you've said no and you won't listen, God will allow you uh, to go your own way. And so that's what he does with Amaziah. And Amaziah musters the army and goes out to fight against uh, Israel. So Joash, verse 21, the king of Israel went up and they saw one another in the face. That's the battle. Both he and Amaziah, king of Judah, at Beth Shemesh, which belongeth to Judah. So the battle occurs within the territory of Judah. And Judah was put to the worst before Israel, and they fled every man to his tent. Big defeat. And Joash the king of Israel took Amaziah the king of Judah, the son of Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, at Beth Shemesh, and brought him to Jerusalem, carried him back to his own capital city as a captive, and he there broke down the wall of Jerusalem from the gate of Ephraim to the corner gate, 400 cubits. So what Joash does is he, he, he captures uh, Amaziah, brings him back to Jerusalem, and destroys the whole northern side of the wall of Jerusalem. Not only that, he took all the gold and the silver and all the vessels that were found in the house of God with Obed-Edom and the treasures of the king's house and hostages also, and returned to Samaria. So all the wealth that had been accumulated uh, under Amaziah's father, all of this has now been lost. The palace and the temple has been plundered. And Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, lived after the death of Joash, son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel, 15 years. And it's, it's not entirely clear from Scripture, but it appears uh, that Amaziah was, was either a hostage uh, in Israel, uh, held by Joash, or uh, he was um, not allowed to fully reign um, back in Jerusalem. Now the rest of the acts of Amaziah, first and last, behold, are they not written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel? Now after the time, we're in Second uh, Chronicles 25, now after the time, verse 27, in Second uh, Chronicles 25, now after the time, verse 27, that Amaziah did turn away from following the Lord, they made a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem, and he, fed, and he fled to Lachish. But they sent to Lachish after him, and they slew him there. And they brought him upon horses and buried him with his father in the city of Judah. And so he has a very... Um, uh, his life ends, unfortunately, like his father's did. He was assassinated. He runs for his life. Um, chapter 26 of, of Second Chronicles, we were introduced to his son, Uzziah, and it, it appears that Uzziah was made king as co-regent while Amaziah was still, uh, was still alive. But Uzziah was 16 years old when he uh, is made king or co-regent with his father. 
Now imagine uh, the lack of confidence that the nation must have had in Amaziah that they would willfully put a 16-year-old boy in charge of the country, right? And, and, and that's, that's what they thought of the leadership of Amaziah. We see his, uh, the decisions that he made um, had horrible uh, consequences for the people of Israel. He was filled with uh, pride. He was lifted up in his own heart. He only had one victory, and it was against a weak foe. But because of that, he um, thought more of himself than he should have. Because, because of the course of action he took in, in trying to uh, um, responding to what those 100,000 mercenaries who had, that, that had gone away uh, unpaid, so to speak, um, instead of pursuing another course of action about um, first taking care of his own citizens impacted by, their, by that, 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 that raping and pillaging that the mercenaries had done, um, instead of sending to the, the king of, of Israel and seeking some sort of diplomatic solution, he uh, immediately went uh, all in with the army and, and, and picked a fight um, apart from any interaction or seeking out the Lord's will. And, and we see that there's just disastrous consequences, not just for him personally, but also for the entire nation. Um, there, is, there is retreat and terror in Israel. Um, the country is left in worse condition. You know, you put walls around things that are precious to you. And now we see the whole northern wall of the city of Jerusalem is, is destroyed, and the city is now open uh, to anyone who would attack. We see uh, their wealth plundered. The palace and the temple is sacked. And, and Amaziah gets to witness all of this firsthand. And um, just think of the discouragement and the hardship uh, that was brought to the people of Judah because of the poor choices uh, that their leader made. Let's just take a minute now as we wrap up um, and look at, at uh, the life of Amaziah as we read, in essence, his obituary. Uh, what do we see uh, from it? Well, in the first place, we see that uh, half-heartedness towards God uh, will always end badly. And that's what we see in Amaziah. The, the sad thing is he knew scripture. He knew it well enough to even apply it. We saw that early in his life. One of the things that he did, uh, which was uh, unfortunately common amongst uh, several of the kings of Judah, is that he didn't remove the high places, these places of alternate worship, of pagan worship. Uh, we need to understand that everything uh, that competes with God is destructive. It's all destructive. Uh, the things that were tolerated by his father were, were tolerated by him. He worshipped ultimately things that cannot deliver. And I, I can't help but think that step towards worshiping the idols of Edom began with this idea that the high places, these things that existed in the background, were, were, were tolerable. If you're, a, if you're a parent this morning and you're, uh, you're with us studying through this, I uh, just want to consider a few things. Um, are there high places in your life that you tolerate? Are there things in the background that you know compete with God, but you continue to allow to exist? Are there high places uh, like 
an uncontrolled temper, uh, like a secret addiction, like fear and anxiety that you don't um, you don't work against, but you feed. Uh, is there an obsession with health or with wealth? You know, in the, in the time that we're in right now, those those two things seem to be taking center stage as far as the world is concerned in this country. Health and wealth. Not that in those things in themselves are are uh, they're they're bad. Obviously, they're not. But uh, is it a thing that actually competes with God in your life? Is it a high place? If you're a child this morning, um, are there hard places that you've inherited from your parents? Are there things like worry or anger or addiction that, that weren't dealt with in your parents' life and you find that same pattern is being expressed now in your life? The high places need to come down. They need to be destroyed. So how does that happen? Well, well, allegorically, in, in Judah, these high places uh, were... were um, somewhat sacred they were set apart places that they needed to be the trees needed to be cut down and they needed to be ripped up how does that happen how is that spiritual truth uh expressed in our lives today we're not talking about cutting down trees right well in second corinthians chapter uh, 10 paul is talking here about um if i can find the right page talking about uh the true gospel or the truth of the gospel and he says this in, in verse 4 of 2nd Corinthians 10 for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ so, so how do we deal with high places in our own life well, we need to reject everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God in our life. And we need to bring every thought into obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. How does that happen in a practical way? Well, if, if, again, it's very simple. It's very simple. It happens through prayer. It happens through studying God's word. It happens through meditation on the things that you've studied. And, and uh, obviously it comes from an admission that there are things in your life that are not surrendered. There are high places um, that you keep hold you back, things that compete for um, that compete with God in your life. God's control. God's having first place. We also see in the, le in the life of Amaziah the effect of pride. It was so destructive. Uh, because of pride, Amaziah did not have the right perspective of God, first off. Um, he didn't recognize God as essential. He thought of God as optional. He, uh, he missed this obvious thing uh, regarding those, those idols that he, he captured from the Edomites. Those things could not deliver. It was plain to see. God Jehovah is a God who can deliver over and over and over again. We know the Lord Jesus Christ, he delivered us through giving himself. He, he, he bore our punishment in his own body on Calvary's tree. And, and Paul, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I think it's verse 10, he talks about the Lord Jesus who has delivered, who does deliver, and who will deliver. All three tenses, past, present, and future. Is your faith... And is your trust 
in the God who delivers, or have you put your trust to some degree or another in anything or anyone else that cannot deliver? Right? The other problem with Amaziah is uh, he didn't have a right perspective of himself. Right? He thought this small victory made him a world conqueror. He thought, in essence, that because he was right once, everything he did was right. Um, he was unable to see the victory that he had over the Edomites was actually the result of his obedience to the word of the Lord. By sending that mercenary army home, that is the thing that gave him the victory. The God, God showed favor to him in that, and he conquered the Edomites, not based on the strength of his 3,000 300,000 member army or upon his own tactical genius as a general, but the Lord empowered him to defeat the Edomites. Um, because of his pride, uh, he was unable to see the consequence of uh, the, the decision he had made to hire a mercenary army uh, from a pagan country to come into his uh, own territory. He, he never saw his fault in that. He was responsible for that. Because of that, um, he went down this pathway that ultimately led to a, a huge defeat and, and to his own captivity. This makes me ponder again as I consider this and understand how it applies to my life. Am I the kind of person who is never to blame? Am I the kind of person who is never at fault? Or am I able to see, because of the choices I make, that there are consequences to those choices when I do them apart from obedience to God's word. Amaziah in his pride could not see where he was at fault. So what we see here in this text is uh, Amaziah, his inability um, because of his pride to admit his fault, to admit that he was wrong, really prevents him from getting to that place of repenting and seeking restoration uh, instead, what happens in his life is, is just very tragic, isn't it? Uh, we find that uh, because of his, his pride and his inability uh, to admit his fault, ultimately what happens is this tremendous defeat. Uh, personally, uh, it ends up in his being completely shamed. It ends up in his captivity, which probably went on for a little bit more than a decade. Uh, there's nothing else recorded in Scripture about what he did. Uh, for the rest of uh, his reign as king. Uh, so he was essentially useless uh, for the Lord's people. At least there's nothing recorded uh, of his utility for the Lord's people in the, in the last years of his life. And ultimately, it resulted in his death. Uh, we, we could read here in Second Chronicles, uh, the people of Judah uh, so discouraged in his ability to reign um, eventually, there's, a, there's an assassination plot that is formed against him, similar to the one that was formed against his father, and his life ends uh, in being murdered. It, it's a very tragic, sad ending. Again, the root cause of this was his pride, his inability uh, to come to terms with the failure of his own decision, um, his, his problem of making God a priority that he valued in his life. Nationally, what happened for Judah, uh, because of uh, the king's poor choices, again, is, is grief. Uh, we read uh, after this defeat against uh, Joash of Israel, uh, every man fled to his tent. Can you imagine the terror 
uh, that, that was in the hearts of the people of God, uh, this once mighty, in their own minds, 300,000 member army uh, retreating, running home. Uh, so there is, the, there is that grief and the terror of defeat. Uh, the city is sacked. Uh, Jerusalem, uh, text tells us that a large section of the wall of Jerusalem is torn down. Joash pillages all of the things that Amaziah's father had uh, built and in, in, uh, collected uh, through taxes uh, and had filled the treasuries both of the palace and of the temple with, with the, the articles of the temple being restored, the articles of silver and of gold. All of those things are sacked and carried away. And so the Lord's people are left impoverished by their leaders' uh, failures. And in addition to that, again, the wall is, is torn down. There's, there's exposure to dangers, exposure to enemies because of uh, their leaders' poor choices. Um, and then they live with the shame of this king's incredible defeat. Uh, they, they, I'm not sure if I mentioned this before, but they put his 16-year-old son on the throne, Uzziah, um, just think about that for a moment. How desperate do you have to be to put a 16-year-old boy in charge? <laughs> Time of shame for the Lord's people. You know, that's possible in any of our own lives, right? That, that is, that is the, what happens when pride dictates um, our choices and our decisions. When pride keeps us from repenting and seeking to be restored, there's defeat. There is poverty. There is exposure to all kinds of uh, bad influences. There is shame that resides. Uh, pride, uh, one brother has described uh, to me as the parent's sin. It's, it's the sin from which so many other sins flow. And it never, ever ends in a good place. As we have reflected a little bit on the life of Amaziah and considered his obituary written by the Lord, it just makes me ponder, how would the Lord write my obituary? I'm soon to celebrate another birthday. Actually, I'll be the same age Amaziah was when he perished. I'll be 54 tomorrow. What would the Lord say as he summed up my life? What would the Lord say as he summed up your life? May the Lord bless the reading of his word, and God bless you all. Thank you so much for your attention. Goodbye.